Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Jean McCarthy. I write the blog, Unpickled, where I have been telling my story of life after alcohol since my very first day of sobriety, which was over six years ago. And let me tell you something. Today's guest is someone who was virtually with me through that. And by virtually with me, I mean she was one of the early cheerleaders, early strangers who cheered me on online. On the day that I set up my blog, uh, my blog was automatically linking me to Twitter. So I realized, oh, I need to make up a Twitter account. I didn't know anything about Twitter. And I quickly figured out that the hashtag about sobriety was hashtag XA, meaning recovering from any addiction. And if you search hashtag XA, you'll see a lot of tweets about sobriety. So I used that hashtag and said, I'm on my first day of sobriety. I could use some support. And uh, a handful of people chimed in and got me through those early days and encouraged me to keep writing my blog. And today's guest, Shauna, is one of those people. Now, before we talk to Shauna, I want to tell you a little bit, uh, just a little bit of housekeeping here, which is that the Bubble Hour is going to be off the air for a couple of weeks because I'm going on vacation. I'm so excited. Um, I'm turning 50 in two weeks, and my husband and I are going on a trip. We're going to go hiking in England for a week, and then we are going to go on a river cruise for a week uh, on the Rhine River. And this is a total dream for us, um, and I'm so excited. So uh, I will be posting probably on Unpickled a little bit about what that traveling is like, because I think it's always really encouraging to see people making it through what's usually a boozy experience without any booze. So I promise I will post you a little bit about that, and uh, I'll be back in July with new episodes as well. Also, I want to tell you that yesterday was one of the best days of my life. My youngest son, Brad, married his sweetheart, and uh, that was out um, in the mountains in a wedding in the forest that was absolutely glorious, and I thought so much of all my brothers and sisters in recovery who are wondering how am I going to get through a wedding sober. And I just want to tell you that I hardly even thought about alcohol. I was just so grateful to be present in every single moment. And I put water in my glass for the toast. And that was totally fine. And I just kept water all night. And I was dancing and singing Sweet Caroline with my hands up in the air along with everybody else. And It was so much fun. So uh, I just want to let you know that we can have fun without booze. In fact, I think I might have had more fun than everyone else because I felt great the next day. Okay, back to Miss Shauna, who uh, I'm so excited to talk to today because we really have been cheering each other on for years. And not only did Shauna um, encourage me early on, but then a couple of years ago, she was wise enough to reach out to me when she was struggling. And even though she had lots of sobriety under her belt, she was feeling a little wobbly and she knew that um, 
just because you have more time than someone else doesn't mean that you are somehow in a hierarchical situation where you can only help people that have less time than you. She said, hey, I need some help. And then it was my turn to pay her back by encouraging her through a rough time. So without any further ado, Shauna, welcome to the Bubble Hour. Oh, thank you, Jean. That uh, that was a beautiful introduction. I thought that, you know, I would maintain my composure through uh, sharing my story, and uh, you've already brought me to tears. So, oh. <laughs> um, uh, so I'm just going to take a second here, collect myself. Um, but uh, thank you for having me on, and I love I love our connection and how it's come full circle as well. And I have so much uh, to you to be grateful for. Um, because of when you when I did reach back out to you and said I was wobbling, you would just open arms and you helped me get back on the path and uh, shared with me some of the resources I'm actually going to talk about um, a little bit later. So I'm uh, I'm excited to get started. Um, I have prepared three versions of this, um, <laughs> not knowing which where I wanted to go, but uh, I felt really good about the the final thing I've landed on. So my name is Shauna. I am a woman in recovery 2.0, having had 10 years of recovery from alcohol, then relapsed and back in a strong recovery now. I am an adult child of an alcoholic. I am married. Um, I too am about to be 50. I have a couple of months left. Uh, and I'm a full-time working mom to a wonderful nine-year-old daughter. Um, so your youngest son just got married and I'm going through, I'm going to be going through the pre-tween or tween years or whatever they're called in short order. Um, but uh, I look to you for, to learn from your experience as well. And I just have to add this in because it's something else I'm proud of. I can also deadlift 165 pounds. So that, wow. that was a big, yeah, I've, I've been working on a, doing a great workout routine and, getting stronger. And I just, you know, love that. So I thought I'd add that in. Good for Um, you. Yeah. So with the uh, challenge of writing out my story, I thought, oh my gosh, easy to write about my high school drinking. Um, But then I realized, you know, I'm turning 50. That was decades ago. And really that's a, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily germane to, uh, to my story. So what I'm going to focus on uh, today, I'll just touch on my early drinking history, but really focus on my adult drinking, what led me to seek out recovery, what happened that sent me back into relapse, and then back to recovery and living a life beyond anything I could have hoped for, um, and how I maintain my recovery with the busyness of everyday life and being a very tired 50-year-old mom. So um, does that sound like a good place? That sounds wonderful. So I I would have to say I was uncomfortable in my own skin from a very early age. I was a sensitive and emotional child, very quick to tear up. I took things personally, very personally, and um, even through adulthood would obsess on comments or thoughts for days. If someone just said, oh, Shonda, you changed the color of your hair. I like it the other, the other blonde. And I would, I would spend days, I would lose sleep over things like that. Like, oh my gosh, should I have done it differently? Um, and when I was younger and little, I was off and off in my own world, 
creating scenarios that were different than my own life. Um, daydreaming, I look differently, I dress differently. Uh, looking back, I believe that, you know, that's an indicator that I was uncomfortable in my own skin from a very young age. And that that grew into an inability to actually see myself as how I truly was physically later. I didn't have a good grasp on who I was and this body that I had. Um, I was neither morbidly or obese nor skinny. Um, I probably, I could have always lost 15 pounds. And from the time I was in the sixth grade, I remember um, that comment either from you know, the doctor at the pediatrician, oh, well, she could probably lose 10 pounds. Um, I remember also starting diets around that time. I did use food to help with my emotions. Um, I grew up in, in a great family. I had uh, the second oldest of four children. My parents um, were together. They're still together. Um, I wasn't pretty nor ugly. I wasn't gifted and talented nor stupid. Um, wasn't from a wealthy family nor a poor family. I wasn't sporty or not sporty. Um, well, actually, no, I wasn't really sporty. So, and I'm okay with that. I'm just trying to say I was unremarkably average, uh, normal and average, but to me, that was nothing. Um, I see nothing wrong with normal and average, and I think it's perfect. Perfect. Um, but uh, to me, it was nothing. Um, couple that with the feelings of less than. Um, I had little love for my own self. I really wanted to be loved. I didn't date much. Um, I wasn't allowed to, but I wasn't asked either. I had wicked crushes on uh, on guys and would take the scraps of attention that they would give me. Um, and I guess since I always felt less than, I also always accepted less than. Um, I always thought I was too heavy, too big, too fat. I have a very round face, and I think if I lost a 1,000 pounds, and I could still have looked in the mirror and thought I was fat. It's just, I think of Katie Lang's song, I'm a Big Bone Girl from Southern Alberta. And I, <laughs> I felt like that, <laughs> you know, that song. And I would say, and I can't remember, I'm not really an audiophile. And everybody that knows me knows I mix up lyrics. But I would always say, you know, I'm just a Big Bone Girl from Southern Alberta. Don't you be calling me fat. I don't even know if that's the, those are the right words. But they definitely resonated to me. And I mention all this because... <laughs> <laughs> I do think Wait, it's let me pause you. I, let me Sorry. pause you. I actually have that song on my iTunes file. Like I Seriously? love Katie Lang, and I actually sing that song all the time. Big Bone Girl from oh, Southern Alberta. So yeah. we're, well, I, yeah, I didn't know we had that Alberta, but my mom grew up out west. She was born in Medicine Hat, so I felt like I had the Alberta connection. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so and I do think it's important to my story because I think I I believe my body issues and uh, my lack of self love, which I think would even say self loathing, is what drove me into relapse after ten years of long term sobriety. Uh, recently at a conference we were both at, Gabby Bernstein said, you know, I've been sober for 10 years and now it's time to do the work. I really wish I'd heard that three years ago before I slept into the, to my relapse. Um, my drinking history, I had my first drink at 15. I, um, I loved it. I loved feeling the numb, the loose feeling. Um, I grew up in a family where, um, we had alcoholism in our family tree, um, and we were always told we had a 75% chance of being an alcoholic. So don't drink. So don't drink. Okay. Don't drink. So the way that I would uh, 
drink is I would um, take the car and pretend that I was the responsible one driving. So I have lots of uh, gratitude to my guardian angels that I didn't hurt myself or others because that was my way of saying to my parents, oh, no, I'm not drinking. Um, and, you know, it was nor- what I would call normal partying, weekend partying, um, not during the week, you know, um, college, same thing, you know, weekends, well, maybe Thursday to Sunday uh, in college, but it wasn't, um, you know, I didn't get into too much trouble. Um, but when I left college, I did a year of service work for uh, the church. I was born and raised Catholic, and I'm happy in my my own faith. I've you know, um, and did a year of service work. And there was a rule there: only two drinks ever, two beers, and uh, because we were billeted with people, so they never wanted you to have too many, right? Just, uh, just in case you never know what would happen. Um, and I always wanted the next one. So it was the first time that I had to be limited. Um, and I always wanted that next one Two wasn't enough. So oftentimes I wouldn't even have one. It was easier for me not to have three if I didn't have one. Um, and that year of service, uh, and working with teenagers in a faith-based environment helped me to grow as a person. We lived, uh, as I said, we were billeted. We traveled around in a van with 13 people for 10 months. Trust me, you learn relationship skills. You learn tolerance, personalities. You learn taking responsibility for your own stuff. Um, we always had to be at peace with each other. So if you did something wrong, you had to make amends. Um, and I grew that year into my best self. Um, I was strong, confident, thoughtful, honest, true, and I liked myself very, very much. Um, I also grew in my relationship with my higher power, the my God of my understanding, um, making conscious contact with him daily um, because I had to fill my own tank to be able to give to others. So, um, you know, I, I started on this path and I stopped drinking. Like I just didn't drink. I was like, oh, well, I've graduated from college. I know I like it too much, so I'm just not going to drink. So in my 20s, my life hummed along. I was a high school teacher. I decided, you know, when I decided not to drink, that I'd kind of grown out of drinking. It was no problem. Um, and I I think of that uh, line I've heard often, that when you start to drink, you stop maturing. And I'm very grateful that in my 20s, I had that chance to um really mature and grow as a person. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so I didn't drink for about eight years then. Um, I read self-help books. I went to therapy. I worked out. I had a great life. But there was an emptiness. There was a sadness there. I always wanted to be married and have children. I felt like the life that I was living was the, my life until my next right life came along. So I never really was present in the moment. It was always what's next. Um, you know, when is this going to happen? And, you know, the, that life that I wanted, that where I was a mom and wife um, to, you know, 10 kids, eight kids, six kids. Um, and, you know, I experienced some heartbreak there because uh, I didn't, um, it didn't happen. And when I, have breakups, it would just strike me to the core. I would be devastated and feel like my life was over. Never drank because that wasn't how I learned to cope in my 20s. I had learned to feel feelings and then I was more of a buck up. Okay, 
been three, four months, buck up, start again. Um, you know, new book, new routine, new class, whatever. And then when I was 26, 27, I actually decided to change professions. The information revolution was in full swing and um, I didn't want to be in the public sector and just watch it go by. I wanted to be part of it. Um, I thought it was exciting, all the stuff that was coming out of Silicon Valley and um, Silicon Valley. And I had, um, I had this really crazy confidence that, oh, I could get whatever job. And somehow I was able to land a job in technology sales. And um, I never looked back. I loved it. I loved interacting with people, the traveling, the solving the problems. I think because I hadn't been getting, you know, I didn't, I suffered from the Cinderella syndrome for sure. I wanted my prince to come along so that, you know, I could be this stay at home mom and wife and create this fabulous uh, home and, and um, realize that, you know, I did like the finer things. I'd probably have to pay for them myself. So I enjoyed, you know, setting up my own life and being responsible um, for me, but I would end the week um, of traveling or being with customers and I actually remember saying the words, oh, gosh, now I know what it means when people come home from work and they say, I think I'd really like a drink. So I'd end the week with a glass of wine. Um, and I laugh at myself now, a glass of wine at a restaurant on a Friday. That was my foray back into the world of alcohol. Um, and, you know, I was traveling, I was taking clients out for dinner, still didn't drink, but um, during the week and then. I started to drink during the week and within a couple of years I was drinking every night. I liked drinking and the, and within the traveling profession, salesmen, consultants, um, whatever, it's very normalized. People drink on the road. They're at hotels. They're alone. They're with people. They're, I don't know, it's party atmosphere. Um, I was, I enjoyed it. Um, I was doing spin class at 5 a.m. and then, and in the best shape of my life. So I had, you know, I had good feelings about myself. However, I was still single and I still equated single with being fat. So if I was single, I must be fat. Um, in my mind, I was. Uh, I look back at photos now and think, oh my gosh, holy, uh, holy heck. Um, I wish I was that size again. I can't believe I actually thought I was fat. But uh, that's the that's the way the brain works when uh, you have body dysmorphia. You don't see your true self. Um, that monkey on my back and that ogre, I couldn't shake. Um, I projected a confidence to the world, but saw a very different person in the mirror. Um, so my drinking had progressed. Um, I was still, you know, wanting that loving relationship and the family. I was getting older. I'd had some heartbreak. Um, and then a light bulb moment happened for me on 9-11. I was emigrating to the U.S. that day. I was transferred to Dallas and was signing my lease as the uh, towers came down. I'd left the city and country I grew up in for 34 years and moved to a place where I sort of knew one family. Um, I got into my apartment and got the TV hooked up immediately and made a conscious decision um, that day. And I still remember it as clear as can be. I normally would have just given the depth of my own faith, I would have gone to a church to pray. Um, that is what I, I felt I should have done. But instead, I was like, no, I'm going to go and get a bottle of wine and I'm just going to watch TV or three bottles of wine. Um, 
the funny thing is, is I left the apartment and went to the store and it turned out I lived in a dry county. I was just like, you're kidding me. Um, so I had to drive three miles to um, a gas station and uh, that gas station had a better selection of wine than any LCBO in Ontario, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> but in that area, um, so that's where my drinking really took off. I moved to Dallas. I was away. I'd had all these changes, um, you know, that was a, a, I guess, a traumatic with a um, lowercase t uh, experience for me because so much had happened in that within that move, um, and where I lived was sort of a Melrose place. I guess for our generation, I can say Melrose place. I don't know what it would be <laughs> for younger, um, but uh, you know. All young professionals, professional football players had a very heavy party atmosphere, and I loved it. I was like, oh, I'm free. I'm not, you know, anywhere. No one's, no one's keeping track of me. So here I am, new country, new city, new apartment, new life, and I quickly learned that going to the local Tex-Mex restaurant down the street and having unlimited chips and margaritas would pack on the pounds fat. So more weight, more self-loathing, more drinking. Um, they're all connected for me. Um, I was still working out, but not that much. And thankfully, though, I did actually go to the gym at my uh, apartment complex because I met a guy there who ended up being my future husband, my current husband, my only husband. Oh, he was so nice, so fit. He had great lats and he's on the rower. I'm on a stepper. Um, and as I quickly learned, he was a man of strong character. And I, I do feel, Jane, that I was headed down a path of destruction and I felt like God, the universe, whatever, um, intervened and put him in my life because he um, he was just so balanced and solid and strong, and he wasn't a big drinker at all. In fact, 14 years, I've never seen him drunk uh, or even tipsy. Um, you know, he indulged me in our, you know, as we're dating and this partying atmosphere. Um, but then he started to ask, you know, asked me a few times, hey, why don't, why do you never just have three drinks? And then I would turn around right away, be defensive. I'd whip out examples of real alcoholics. I just like to drink a lot. I had a job. I was successful. I was making money. Couldn't possibly be an alcoholic. Nothing big ever happened. But I knew, I knew in my own heart that having an extra bottle of wine in the pantry so that I could fill up the wine in the fridge to make it look mm -hmm. like the bottle was only just opened and only half a glass was out of it wasn't really normal. Um, <laughs> you know, that was kind of a little trick because he'd come home from work or come over for dinner. I'd have a, a glass of wine and almost a full bottle in the fridge, but I will have already had, you know, three quarters of a bottle or whatever. Um, and it also wasn't normal to not drink around him. And then when I was traveling, drink heavily on the road to get all my drink in. Uh, at that time, I also trained for a marathon. I was looking for other things, you know, to help me not drink. And so I could only drink Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, because I had to go do the long runs on Saturday. Uh, but then, you know, it might creep into Thursday. And I might be okay on Saturday still to do the the long runs. But to be honest, that strong, confident woman I loved in my 20s was fading into the background. The uh, behaviors that I was embodying was not who I was. I would cancel on friends so I could drink. I would start early before anyone would come over or before we'd go out. I'd drink after. Um, and I was down. I, um, 
I was down and I knew because I'd had it in my brain that, yeah, I was probably an alcoholic. And I knew, I mean, you know, when you love it that much, it's not even about the amount or when, but it's that relationship, that intimacy with that drink. When you take that drink and that connection, um, so it did, um, you know, I tried to, I tried to moderate. I tried, um, I tried to do a lot of things, but, um, you know, here we were, we were dating for a couple of, uh, a year, year and a bit. And I found this awesome man. So why are we not getting married? Why are we not getting married? My biological clock is ticking. I want to have babies. Um, but he Honestly, he knew better. He was taking his time. He, I think he wanted to see if I would sort myself out. Um, and I, I decided I did want better. I did want that person that I used to know, that happy person, that honest person, that person that didn't hide alcohol, that didn't try to get away with things. Um, and so I went to I went to a twelve step meeting, where um, I met the most amazing group of women, um, many in long term recovery, some in uh, who were in near term recovery, and ten years of awesomeness and awesome challenges followed. Um, I learned a lot. I I accepted the twelve steps. And I worked them. I had a great um, lady who was was my sponsor and took me through them. It turned out she had also moved to Dallas from Toronto. We, it was amazing because in 15 minutes we found our six degrees of separation that were only three, and um, it was just like I just felt like the universe, like God was just saying, "Okay, here you go, good good choice. That was a good step. That was a good meeting to go on. So I'm just going to keep, you know." giving you more stuff and show you all these coincidences that, that happened. Um, And so it was just uh, a time of tremendous growth. That was March of 2005. By then we had gotten engaged um, and we were planning to get married in July. So I had a huge sense of relief that I would not be drunk at my wedding um, and make a fool of myself. But uh, when I was drinking and thinking about that, I would often think, oh, well, they'll give the bride a pass because, you know, it's her wedding. And, you know, that's not true. You don't want to see a drunk bride. Like, I I mean, not a drunk 38-year-old bride anyway, um, especially if she's, you know, a drunk drunk like me. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, we we moved on and things, I should say, I feel like I've had so many great doors open in my life, um, one after the other. We decided we wanted to move away from Dallas and closer to family. So I applied for a job at a company up there. I got hired. We found a house. We moved up there. My husband was able to transfer. Um, and so I was like, okay, what's next? All these great doors are opening. So why am I not getting pregnant? Well, I did get pregnant. I had a couple miscarriages because when you're 38, you have old eggs um, or 40. And uh, so we kept trying for a baby. And then finally at uh, 40, I did get pregnant. But, you know, through that process and the miscarriages, I remember um, being so sad and getting a milkshake. And I actually called my girlfriend who had taken me through the steps and I said, 
oh my God, even food doesn't help this. Like there was nothing. There was so much pain and sadness and like, oh my gosh, because, and that's why I shared earlier, all I ever wanted was, you know, to have a baby that was like something I knew from a very early age, I guess maybe playing with my dolls or maybe it was that I craved the love from my mom in a different way than I had it and wanted to have that with my own child. I, I don't know. Um, but it was, that was painful, but I made it all through all of that sober and, um, and I would say happy. I was, I was happy. I had a happy life. What happened then um, in 2015, 2015 hit, um, I was feeling pretty good and, you know, I was exercising, I was doing CrossFit. I loved it, um, but I was gaining weight. Um, I was, you know, like, what, 45 at the time. And I don't know why, Jean, I did this, but I thought it was a good time to go off my antidepressants that I'd been on. And I was like, you know, I feel pretty good. I, I think I should detox off everything in my life. Um, and that was a big mistake uh, for me. For me, it was a big mistake. I was also heading into menopause. My estrogen was dropping. Um, my brain stopped working the way it always had. Um, I was gaining weight at a rapid pace. I was super unhappy. I was starting to feel that being uncomfortable in my own skin again. Um, I had left a terrible boss for an awesome one. I loved my travel, my customers, my family, but I, I couldn't get out of my own head. I sought affirmation through work and success and relationships, and it still wasn't enough. And yet I had everything I wanted, right? Like, or everything I said I wanted. And I should, I should just pause here for one second. Um, when I did get pregnant with my daughter and maintain that pregnancy, and the day she was born, I, I, I know it's kind of cliche because it's Jerry Maguire, but... I do feel that she completed me. That was, there was an actual hole in my heart and it was filled when she was born. And uh, I will be forever grateful for that. I was never able to get pregnant again after that. And I cherish the miracle baby that I had. So I don't want to, you know, that was really a defining moment for me as well. Um, so I had all of these great things. And yet it still wasn't enough. And again, it was, I had started to gain weight and this self-loathing happened because I never, you know, I was so hard on myself. I wasn't doing what I, I was doing everything and not giving myself any credit. I um, had no self-compassion and um, I was losing who I was. And I was at a fancy client conference at um and you know the alcohol was flowing and I just was like hmm, I think I'll have a glass of wine after and how many years of sobriety was that that was after 10 years 10 years mm -hmm. 10 years and um well because I'm so good at it I'm one was not enough I had to have however many I had and um, just went right back, went out and bought a pack of cigarettes from the hotel concierge. And that was it. I was right back, like where I'd been 10 years before. And um, 
let me tell you that next morning, I was like, wow, I just blew 10 years of sobriety. Nothing bad happened. I was in bed by 1030, but I think we started drinking at five. So, um, you know, I, I keep, I don't know if I keep saying that, but I keep thinking it. Nothing bad ever, like really bad happened. It was bad enough that I lost myself. That to me is bad enough um, that I have been given so much and yet I couldn't, I couldn't love who I was. That, that was bad enough. Um, and, you know, there was tremendous guilt and shame. Uh, and I think that that's when the shame spiral started. Um, I know that's when the shame spiral started. So I had all these other emotions going on and then the shame spiral. And then once you start going down that path, it's easy to pick up another bottle and say, oh, well, maybe I'll just take the edge off tonight. And then we got into some stuff. We bought a new house and all this stress. And I had lost my, co- my sober coping mechanisms, my sober muscles to help me get through things. I had um, forgotten them. The muscle memory was gone because, you know, I went back to old neural pathways that engaged, have a drink, and you'll be able to pack up the house. It won't feel as bad because I hate moving and I hate packing. And, you know, let me numb out on that. So it was always like, well, well, I really do want to be sober, but um, let me just get through this move. Let me just get through this trip. Let me just get through. And it was just after actually that first client conference that I reached back out to you um, Mm -hmm. and said, oh gosh, okay, so I've been listening to you on the bubble hour. And uh, so tell me all about, you introduced me to an online group, um, which was amazing because it was like this, this sense of community um, that was there 24 seven that you could connect into. Uh, And I think because I was so busy with work and taking care of my daughter and doing all of these things that I, um, I lost my connection to, to people and to friends and was isolating. So, um, so, you know, my drinking progressed and I used it to numb and I tried to stop and I would go on to that group up, trying here's day one and then you know I'd make it seven days 14 days 21 days 30 days six days 90 and 99 days was finally the last one um had a slip at 99 days and I I haven't had one since so I um but what I learned through that I started to go see a therapist I saw a psychiatrist we got me back on the right antidepressants we talked about you know how my brain wasn't working and um, we did, um, this new therapist introduced me to a type of meditation called loving kindness with self-compassion. And I swear, Jean, that changed my life. Oh, tell me about 20, that. oh, it was amazing. It was, um, um, Kristen Neff. It was on insight timer. It's just an app. And I just started to listen to it and it's a 20 minute meditation that's loving kindness and with self-compassion. And she just says these affirmations. And it was the first time I would say, you know, may I be happy. May I be safe. May I be kind to myself. Like things that I had never said to myself. And just by going through that and accepting that I was perfectly imperfect, that, 
no matter how hard I tried, I was not going to have the tidiest house. I was not going to have the perfect life, the perfect body, the perfect whatever. Um, And at this point, I had gained 80 pounds. I was 256 pounds at this point. And yet, I was learning how to love myself. Um, And parallel to this, I did um, work with a surgeon to see if I could have um, a weight loss surgery to help me out because I was like, okay, 10 pounds is one thing, 20 pounds, maybe 30 pounds, but 80 pounds, I have no no concept of how I'm going to do that. I'd already done 60 pounds once and that was tough um, up and down and 80 pounds. I was like, there's no way. And so I qualified for the surgery physically, but when I went for the psychological, I filled out the uh, form and it said, are you a drinker? And I wrote, no, I was in long-term recovery. I had a relapse and I'm back into sobriety now. And she said, oh, Shauna, I don't think I can approve you for surgery. And I'm looking at her going, are you kidding me? Like, are you kidding me? I'm doing the work. I'm in recovery. I'm working with a therapist, a psychiatrist. Like, what do you mean? Okay. And just between you and me, Jean, that's my inner voice. I don't actually speak to people like that. (laughs) So that's that's what I wanted to say to her. But I just said, I don't understand. I bet you have people coming in here who are regular drinkers. I've had recovery. She goes, yeah, but Shauna, this is really serious. This operation actually reroutes some of your stomach. And so the way the alcohol gets absorbed, it gets absorbed through your small intestine. And it metabolizes differently and has um, a different effect on the addiction centers in the brain. So if you did drink, when you had this, you would fall faster back into a more physical addiction um, as well as, you know, because I think sometimes for me, it was the emotional addiction, feeling the release, not as much the physical. I don't really know if it was the physical because um, I, I don't identify cravings. I identify wanting to get numb, but I don't know a physical craving. Um as much as, I mean, maybe I haven't really looked at it that quickly or that closely. Um, and so she said, she said, you, you can't, you have to have another three months of recovery and sobriety. And, you know, I went back to my therapist and I was like, well, okay, let's, okay. What's another three months, right? What's another three months? I'll do what I can. And um, I focused then just continuing on what I was doing. And um, prior, I should back up, when I started the self-compassion meditations, the way my therapist had been saying it was, regardless of the outcome of whether or not you get approved, we need to get you to love yourself how you are. Mm -hmm. So the day I actually went into surgery, which was March in 2016, I was a version of my best self. I did love and accept myself. And I was acutely aware that I had to continue to grow in that because post-surgery, a lot of things happen too. When you do lose the weight, you have some very interesting loose pockets of skin that if you um, were of the self-loathing type, you might not accept so much. Um, And 
you know, I knew I could very easily obsess on that. So my focus has been over the last year and a half, loving and accepting myself where I am on a daily basis. Um, that's from the, say the body and addressing the body dysmorphia and saying, you know, this is not um, who I am. That's a lie. When I look in the mirror, that is a lie. Um, and, you know, she really helped me work through that because I would tell her, well, when I walk down the hallway at work, I think people are saying, I can't believe how big Shauna's gotten. I can't believe how much weight Shauna's gained. Like that was my inner dialogue. Mm. And when we started to identify and talk about those things and say, no, that's just the ogre in the back of your mind and tell them to go away. I was actually able to get rid of those voices um, and that those talk tracks. So, you know, changing the neural pathways and, you know, just trying to get rid of all. And that was, you know, I was replacing it with the self um, compassion and the loving kindness and then doing other meditations as well. Primarily for the first eight, nine months, I did do um, mostly loving kindness or the meta meta meditations um, because it is about loving yourself and loving others. Um, and it was amazing because my patience and tolerance for people, I, I don't even know where it came from, but I attribute it to the meditation practice, but um, I'm grateful uh, for my, my slip and my relapse. I don't see, I don't see my 10 years as, as wasted. Um, I can tell you that when I reached out to all of you um, in the online community, um, you know, Dawn, Nicole, you, I remember everyone saying, Shauna, it's like, uh, I actually think it was Dawn that said this. Um, it's like taking a journey from New York to LA but you get rerouted to Chicago for a bit. doesn't mean you start over in New York and head to LA. You pick up in Chicago, you still have that distance behind you. So I could build on that. So mm-hmm. I could build on my years. But then, and I was able to layer on top of that, what I call the new recovery, the social media, the blogs, people sharing their stories so openly, their struggles, their recovery, um, I believe there's so many modalities that can help us. I also believe there's a huge continuum of alcohol um, use, misuse, abuse, alcoholism. You know, if I had to call myself something now, I'd probably say I was a very big binge drinker. Okay, Mm -hmm. maybe a really often binge drinker. I don't know, because I could go without (laughs) it for a period of time. Um, But when I had my slip... I know uh, we're starting to cut close and I want to actually have some dialogue with you. When I had my slip, they, you know, it's always said it's progressive disease. It picks up where you would have been if you'd kept drinking. And because I had to hide it because I was not supposed to be drinking. Oh, I I would do things. I lost you for just a second there, Shauna, because you were not supposed to be drinking. I was hiding it. Mm. I was hiding it. So I would buy those little bottles um, uh, from the liquor store that I never bought before in my life. And um, I would hide them in purses. I would, um, or in boots, winter boots. And I'm like, what? You know, I look back on it now and go, who were you? Because that was not you. But I think that's how the drinking progresses, right? The other thing I would do is I would... um, Anyway, I was 
that hiding, that it just wasn't who I was. And so, yes, I was trying to backpedal and say I was a binge drinker. So maybe I was a big binge drinker in my 20 or teens and early 30s. But no, when I had my slip, I was headed down a really, really fast path to destruction again. So I'm grateful that, you know, I used both the 12-step program and other recovery modalities and especially meditation. I mean, people think I talk too much about it because um, I do, because I think it's changed my life Um, from a lot of things. You know, I have ADD. It's helped me, you know, figure that out um, and clear out my mind and help me be creative again after, you know, the craziness of, of life with a, as a working mom and whatever. So I'm grateful to be sober. I'm grateful to be in recovery. Um, I love our group of women through the She Recovers community uh, and, um, you know, all the blogs out there, especially I think of, you know, I think you've had Holly Whitaker on here from Hip Sobriety. Um, you know, she says you don't have to hit rock bottom to oh, want a different life. <laughs> That's right. And you don't have to hit 500 pounds to go on a diet. And you don't have to smoke a pack of cigarettes a day to quit smoking. (laughs) There's no line. There's no line, right? uh, So, you know, I just wanted my life back. And, you know, it's it's a continuous process. I have to be aware of even, say, I, I was sharing about the addiction issue with alcohol and the surgery, but also you know, my relationship with food, am I really eating properly? Am I slowing down? Am I using it to the way I did when I was a child for my emotions? So, you know, but I'm not ending. I'm on a journey, Jean. I just Mm -hmm. want to get better every day, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so if I can improve slightly every day, then I'm on the right path and it's not going to be huge improvements, but I just want to keep learning and growing and, uh, and you know, I do want to reach out and work with other women. I'm going to, uh, I'm training to be a recovery coach, but I have to, you know, I have to take care of myself. Oh, the other thing that was key to my recovery is self-care um, and taking time for myself. I had been just running at so many miles an hour and serving <laughs> everybody, taking care of my family, getting up at, you know, well, I think you put this in the title, getting up at five, having the dog, going to work, making lunches. Um, you you, you know. sent me a schedule one time of what your day looked like from like 5 a.m. to 10 p.m. And you're like, where does self-care fit into the, can, do you remember yeah. what was on that list? I, oh, you yeah, should run I through do. that. What did your day look like? Because I read it. And I'm like, well, like, like, yeah, I can see why you're having trouble looking yeah. after yourself. Because I was so concerned about when was I going to get a workout in? Well, I've been blessed with the gift of insomnia. So now I get up at four. I do all my meditation. I work out at 530. And uh, I say that tongue in cheek. One day I'll sleep again. I know that. But it's all right. Um, And did did your dog get kicked out of daycare or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, I can't have my dog kicked out of daycare. This is like part of my... Like you had everything down to a science. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he got kicked out of daycare. Poor Finn. We did find another daycare that accepted the fact that he was a little, you know, he was only six months old. He needed to learn how to play with others and they were willing to work with him. So uh, I was glad about that. But yes. Yeah, so 
you know, and asking for help. That's the other thing, Jean. I wanted to do everything for everyone and myself. I had to ask for help. I had to stop and say to my husband, can you do this? Can you start taking, you know, our daughter to school? Can you, you know, do this or do that? Or admitting I can't cook tonight. Can we order in? Um, So I had to give, but I also, you know, a regular massage. And then I found these really cool foot massage places that Mm -hmm. just an hour out of the day, every few weeks. Um, But then I I also find the taking time for myself, getting up early, having my coffee and being alone, being able to pray, journal, listen, that kind of stuff. So it's worth giving up an hour of sleep. I find I often get up early just to, um, uh, just to sit because I, yeah. I just need a certain amount of alone time. I'm not productive. I'm not a morning person, but I do need to just sit. You're more productive in your early hours. And, you know, I, I, what I hear you saying, too, is the things you do for self-care, self-care really can be asking your husband to cook dinner, right? It really can mm-hmm. be ordering pizza once in a while. And I, I feel like you do a good job of sort of combining your self-care with your time spent with your daughter and realizing that, that, that those there can be overlap there in in your time as a mom for, and self care because you guys do kind of stuff together that way don't you? Yes, we do a lot together. I um, we have lots of girl time. We do mother daughter not camping weekends. Let me put that clear. We stay in a cabin, not a tent. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yes, we I spend a lot of my time. See, that's what I try to do is carve out the time that I'm home that she's home, that we can be together, that I'm not doing other things that I need to like have to get done. So I let a lot go as well. And that's been growth, right? Like, okay, I'm just letting this go or I'm outsourcing this or whatever, because I want to, I waited so long to have her. I want to be with her when we're together mm-hmm. be present to her. And, you know, I don't think my mom will listen to this and this isn't against her. i firmly believe all of our parents did the best they could with the knowledge they had at the time um, when they were raising us. But I feel like I am being the mother that I always wanted. Yeah. Um, And that to me is a huge win. I'm firm, but fair. I'm present, but have um, helped her to be independent. Um, You know, there's just so many things and, that I, I feel she's growing well as a person. And I will say, I think my biggest achievement is that I didn't pass any food issues on to her. So all this 10 years that you've heard me, you know, I just went up through up and down, up and down. I've never said the word fat. I've never said, talked about calories or diets or anything. She has no clue. She eats when she's hungry. She doesn't eat when she's not hungry. You can put a bowl of M&Ms. She might out and she might have five. She self-regulates. I'm like, that's a huge win. You know, so. I've heard uh, that addiction affects the whole family. And I oh, also yeah. believe that recovery affects the whole family. Um, we're like, I'm so much a better mom and a better yeah. grandma and everything as a sober woman than, um, than I was. So that's, that's beautiful to hear that, that your recovery is, is generational. Like it has mm-hmm. a ripple effect, doesn't it? Okay, let me it ask does. you a couple questions because I jotted a few things down and I want to make sure we right. um, get to it before we go. But um, 
as a salesperson, you're still in your career as a salesperson. I know it's a busy, demanding career. And this is a real challenge. I think there is a disproportionate number of people that struggle with addiction that are in sales because that profession can require you to entertain people and be make sure people have fun and be at conferences and there's so much of that out there do you feel like sober people have need a different skill set than they had before um well i i think it's about asking for help or recognizing your limitations my boss i've known him he hired me originally 11 years ago i only started working for him again five years ago so he knows and we have a deal I will stay out till 930 and then he takes them out for the late nights and then he texts me anything in case he can't remember the next day, um, <laughs> any notes or any, um, if he heard of a new deal or something coming up, he'll just send me in a text and I'll write it down the next day and follow up. But uh, so that's one thing. I don't make myself stay out um, that, from huge. the entertaining. So it is huge. And, you know, I had a, we were at a conference, I don't know, two months ago, and I, I was a mess. I was uncomfortable. I just, whatever. And I said to my girlfriends after, I need to know that I can ask, can we go for a manicure? Can we skip a happy hour? I mean, it was a huge thing, right? But I didn't, I didn't plan well. I did not plan well for that conference. And so you have to plan well as well. You have to say, hey, listen, I'm going to get a workout in. We'll have an early dinner. That's something I've been doing. And the interesting thing is a lot of my clients um, are my age, and so they're all to party a bit, but many of them like to work out. So I'll say, hey, let's have an early dinner, um, and then you could, you know, if you want to go out or you want to do a workout or you want to go back and do more work, um, and most people say yes to an early dinner. So that in and of itself helps. But your question was, do we have to have a different skill set? Well, I think we have to be willing to at least share with someone that we're not comfortable staying out. So there's a vulnerability um, there. You have to have a certain level of trust with your peers or your boss. Um, and setting boundaries. And you know what's amazing? It's not everybody wants to go out and party. Mm-hmm. That's so true. Um, and do you think that it limits you in any way as a salesperson? Not at all. Not at all. I mean, for 10 years, I entertained clients and didn't there. I've never been. No, not at all. That's great to hear. I, I feel like that is encouraging for, you know, a lot of our listeners they are contemplating. And I think a lot of people feel stuck in their job and feel like they won't be able to do their job if they have to either hide um, you know, because the, the thing that they're thinking is like, I'm going to have to keep doing it the same way, only not drink. And what I hear you saying is, no, no, you have to do it differently so that you can protect your decision to not drink. Correct. That's all right. And yes. And let me tell you that when I was on my slip and I was drinking at events, I feel like I did a crappier job because I would say things without my filter. Without my sober filter of what was appropriate or inappropriate, might be pushing too hard on a deal or asking for the next step because of the the liquid courage. And that's not who I am. I I read people really well. I'm good at what I do. So I actually feel like it hurt me more. Yeah, that's important to say. Thank you for that. 
I have another question for you on a different topic, which is about the parents. So you said you are an adult child of an alcoholic. What was your parents' response to you quitting alcohol and healing that part of your life? Um, they were very happy. Um, obviously, um, my we're generational. My grandfather was um, an alcoholic, and he actually got the 12-step program to um, Alberta a hundred years ago when, um, uh, yeah, like, I mean, cause he would be over a hundred now. So I, I kid at a hundred years ago, but early, early on, but he was a chronic relapser and he died. Um, he died a, a drinker, which is unfortunate. Um, and then my mom also was in recovery in a 12 step program early on. Um, and she, uh, she has struggled with, uh, with multiple relapses. So, when I got, um, when I finally declared that, yes, this was it and this was forever in March of 2005, I actually called my mom. I was a bit angry, but I said, thank you. And I actually said it this year on Mother's Day, too. I said, thank you for the gift of alcoholism. Um, because without it, I wouldn't have learned or sought out the tools to help heal me of all my other stuff and help me grow as a person. Um, and she said, I feel bad. I said, I don't want you to feel bad. I'm great. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for it. So I know that they were happy. And I, I thanked her again. I was mad when I had to stop drinking. I had some anger there and I said, mom, I'm mad that I have to stop and you get to keep drinking. Um, and yet you gave me this, but I'm really glad you did because, because I'm going to get better. <laughs> so <that> was, <laughs> uh, backwards, but I'm really in a place where I'm, I'm grateful for the gift of it. And even when I talked to my therapist, my therapist said, that's a really good place to be because Shauna, you know, it served you. It helped even protect you when you needed it at times early on, right? When you didn't have the coping. Now you've, Grown, grown and figured out how to cope and feel all the feels and that it's okay. So yeah. she, they, I think she's happy that I'm breaking the cycle. Like you said, you know, I am, we're in recovery and I'm hoping that this transfers down to my daughter and her children as well. Well, that's a lovely place to end our discussion because um, that rounds out the hour for us. Um, there's one other thing I want to say to you, which is just to express my gratitude to you because um, I really, I love the sort of butterfly effect or the ripple effect that um, we all have on one another in recovery. And if you hadn't helped me, I wouldn't be here doing this show. And so, you know, your help <laughs> has been reproduced in spades um, with, you know, I've helped others and they've helped others. And I just, you know, so you you own a part of the success uh, that uh, so many of our listeners are experiencing, and um, and I'm grateful to be here, and I'm grateful to be sober. So I want to thank you for that, and just just hold up my wonder at the way it all works. <laughs> it is it is amazing. I mean, my life is a series of coincidences, and honestly, I if I had not found our community online and. Uh, all of the recovering women through social media, I don't think my life would be as rich and as full and I would be as strong in my recovery because I'm really focused on a more holistic approach now. Um, and 
I wouldn't have found that without you. So thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, My honor. It's my honor. Thank you so much for your time today. And I wonder, do you have any um, final words of encouragement for our listeners, wherever they're at today? Yes. You don't have to hit rock bottom. I was so afraid to tell my story today because I don't have any big problem. Like I didn't hit, I didn't get arrested. I need DUIs. I didn't get my children taken from me, but I'm no less a problem drinker than other people. And it's so much better on the other side. So much better on the other side without it. I I just got shivers when you said that because I remember that was ex- the exact thing you messaged me when I asked for help. Um, you sent me a, a private message and you said it is so much better on the other side. Uh, so I love that you just said that because wow. we're full circle. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, Shauna, thank you so, so much. And um, you just shared from the bottom of your heart and you're so open and honest and I'm really grateful for it. And um, I want to thank you for being here. Well, thank you, Jean. And thank you for all the work you do. Oh, my pleasure. Absolutely my pleasure. And listeners, if you heard something today that resonates with you and you would like to send a message to Shauna, you can email it to me, thebubblehour at gmail.com. And uh, make sure you mention that uh, you heard Shauna's story and that it uh, you have some feedback for her. Or uh, if you want to share your gratitude or share your story, I will make sure that Shauna gets it. So go ahead and email me. If you want to listen to the rest of our 200-plus episodes in our archives, you will now find us at blogtalkradio.com slash bubblehour. And uh, you can access all of our old episodes there. You can also find us on iTunes. And if you love our show, please be so kind as to take a moment and give us a nice uh, review on iTunes. That helps other people find us. And that can be an act of service for you to help others. And uh, so from Shauna and from myself, I thank you all for listening. I wish you a great week. I will talk to you when I get back from Europe and I'll tell you all about it. So until then, everyone, please take good care. I own it. I did that. Not proud that that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from power.
I've had to 